listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Well, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is. 11.02, it's still morning. Thank you so very much for um, your willingness to hear the story. I am so honored that you guys chose to hear it. I'm going to fire up my computer, and then we'll get going. All right. Well, thanks again for um, coming. I, I'm so honored that I was given this opportunity to write out the story and that you have um, chosen to come hear it. At the end of this, I really hope that um, God would be highly glorified. Um, so like he said, my name is Amy Chen, and I was born in Southeast China. I spent the first eight years of my life there until my parents decided to move us to the United States. Um, so just a little bit of backstory. In order for someone to immigrate to the U.S., especially from China, they would need a reason, like to be reunited um, with a spouse, a parent, a child, for school or for a job. Those are pretty much the only ways. Um, my dad did not have any of those connections. Um, so the only thing my dad had was um, an uncle and his family. Well, that connection is too distant to be approved for immigration. Um, but this uncle had a friend of a friend, Mr. Chan, who owned a Chinese restaurant in Indiana. And they had to say that the restaurant owner wanted to hire a chef that spoke Chinese, spoke English, to be able to make certain authentic dishes, etc., that t uh, position would be next to impossible to fill in suburban town in Indiana, unless it was my dad. Um, so they essentially opened up a position just for my dad, just for this purpose. Um, if you know anything about 99% of Chinese restaurants in Indiana, you can hire any high school kid to work there. So nothing fancy, no speaking Chinese, no special dishes. So it was just a way to get in. Um, so, but that was the way that they had to do things for my dad. Uh, Mr. Chan was only a friend of a friend of my, of my dad's uncle. We were complete strangers at this point. Um, and the fact that he agreed to do this was basically a small miracle um, to begin with. And it really speaks to his complete generosity. Um, four years of processes later... Uh, when I say processes, I mean like talking to lawyers, applications, interviews, a mountain of paperwork, a lot of money. Um, my parents told me the life-altering news. In my little seven-year-old mind, I had the perfect life. Um, all of my beloved relatives were within 10 miles of me, so I got to see them often. Um, I was in first grade. Uh, just starting school, and I loved school and had many friends. Um, family and friends really meant the whole world to me. Um, I mean, things were just going exceedingly well. Um, home life, school life, everything. Um, I was voted a math representative in my class. So once upon a time, I was good at math. That, has, that part of my brain has left. Um, and then, on top of that, I was chosen um, from thousands of students to be trained in the all-city choir. Um, those accomplishments were my identity um, back then. So I was just a very happy little kid. And then my parents would 
rip all of that or willingly rip all of that away from me. It was unthinkable and I was kind of mad. So on May 31st, 1993, we all bid our friends and family goodbye. Uh, we really had no idea if we would ever see any of them again. Um, again, I felt like I was ripped from my uh, warm little cocoon to a cold and strange land where we knew no one, completely new foods. I didn't know a single word of the language, um, strange customs, etc. Um, then we landed at my uncle's house in Seattle. I literally cried every single day those first few weeks. I missed my loved ones and my old life. Um, then after a few weeks, we were to move to Beach Grove, Indiana. If you don't know, Beach Grove is about 30 minutes away from here in a little suburb of um, Indianapolis. And that was where Mr. Chan, my dad's new employer, lived. Um, my dad's uncle reprimanded me and said, I must stop crying once I met, uh, got to Beach Grove because I needed to be a good girl for Mr. Chan and his family. I must make a good impression for them since they were heroes for agreeing to go through this whole four-year process and helping us, um, and we must not be burdens to him and his family, well, more than we already were. So that was the um, impression. Um, and then the uncle also warned my dad to just, you know, work hard for his employer, not cause any troubles, basically go to work, send me to school, rent an apartment, rent and repeat for the next 40 years. Um, but on that journey from Seattle to Indiana, trouble found us. We landed in Indiana, and we were in Mr. Chan's van traveling um, from the airport, and I heard my dad wail out, I cannot find my wallet! In 1993, traveler's checks and personal checks were not common in China. Um, my parents literally went to the bank, liquidated their account, and brought home a wad of cash, a huge wad of cash. And that wad of cash represents their entire life savings. Um, in that van, we had lost it all. Um, our Basically, our entire sky had fallen down. The only money that we did have uh, were $50 in cash that um, my dad's uncle's wife gave to me as like lucky money. Um, so three people, $50, we started over. Um, to this day, that money was never found, and we kind of theorized that it was either lost or stolen at the Denver airport, um, the layover between Seattle and here. Um, so with that devastating news, plans had to change quickly. Um, instead of renting our own apartment, we now have to live with Mr. Chan and his wife. Again, they were just strangers to us, so for them to take us all in, all three of us. Um, I was very far from the life that I knew just three weeks earlier. Um, looking back, though, Mr. and Mrs. Chan's immense grace, uh, without them, we would have been homeless, starving, even worse. So they truly were our heroes, and up until their deaths, um, we, were, we, we were still very, very um, good friends, and now we are really good friends with his daughters and sons, so we're, we're still very, very close to two families. Um, I had never heard of um, God or Jesus or the Bible in this point in my life, but in those dark days of living in the United States, I would often barter with an invisible God in my head. 
Um, psychiatrists and therapists might call that my me um, coping mechanism, but I would say things like in my little seven-year-old mind, okay, if you can sing the song perfectly, then mom and dad would move back to China. If you get A on this test, then they would be able to move back. And I begged and begged and talked to this invisible God for about a year. None of it came true, of course, but it's interesting I, that I even went there in my little eight-year-old mind. I think Jesus was putting down the first seeds for me to receive his great story. So I arrived at Beach Grove when I was eight, and I left the town when I was 18. I, of course, stopped crying every day, wishing to go back to China, but it's still a very rough decade there. If you know me, you, would, you have probably heard me say, oh, Beach Grove, or joke that Beach Grove is where all hopes and dreams go to die. Um, no offense to the town or, or most of the people there. I was actually a huge part of making it rough, not so much the town. Um, my parents worked 12 hours a day to barely make a living. I was a latchkey kid starting when I was nine. Um, eventually, in my preteen and teenage years, I started to rebel against being the good kid. Um, Yep, just like a lot of kids. Um, in high school, I would skip school and pretend to be my mom and call into the attendance line, complete with her fake Chinese accent. I finally got caught. It took me a while, believe it or not. I finally got caught the beginning of my senior year. I had done this like 100 times. Um, so I finally had to go to school um, every day. Um, on a dare, I went, to, I went into the family dollar or dollar tree and uh, I stole pencil lead, like a dollar at most, pencil lead. Um, I had actually gotten away with it until my dad had to go back into a store for an exchange. Some customer had tattled on me and told the clerk, and then the clerk told my dad. Um, instead of yelling and screaming, um, my dad cried that night, which is, I think, more of an impact on me than if they would have yelled and screamed. So technically, I am still... Um, a band from a Dollar Tree for life, um, even now. But if you, if I were to walk in, I don't think there'd be any kind of mug shots of me or anything like that. Um, and then the third thing, th these are just kind of examples of how bad I had strayed. Um, with another friend, I would slash the tires of the girls that we didn't like. Um, that, of course, would have been a jailable offense, but we really never got caught. Um, and then towards the later of my teenage years, I would, my behavior would get a whole lot worse before it got better. Um, Beach Grove High School, just like any other suburban schools, uh, was basically like very clicky. You had your, your nerds and your jocks and your preps, et cetera, and each uh, clique bullied members of another clique, and friendships inside the cliques all would fall apart often, betrayals occurred on a consistent basis, and not so not only were friends made, um, a lot of enemies were made too. Just kind of the background there of Beach Grove here. Despite all the shenanigans, uh, by the grace of God, I came out of Beach Grove relatively unscathed, like I didn't become pregnant with any unwanted children, I didn't become addicted to any substances, um, I had no permanent records with the police, and etc. Um, when then, because I got caught for my truancy, I actually had to go to school, and that year I got really, really good grades, and I was able to go to Purdue University. Um, I did mention that, you know, by the grace of God, but I don't think I've thought about God 10 times in those 10 years that I was in Beach Grove. Um, so now we're moving forward to my freshman year at Purdue. I kind of continued my old ways of living. 
Um, I had only been on campus for like a couple of weeks before I got a fake ID to go out to the bars. Um, at freshman orientation, I had met a new friend who would promise to get me into the best parties at the school. So Friday and Saturday nights, I went out with a bunch of girls in my dorm. We were dressing as provocative, provocatively as possible, drinking as much alcohol as possible. It was exactly like high school, except on a much bigger scale. Um, around October of that year, my freshman year, I was getting in line at, um, to eat dinner at one of the dorms, and a guy that I thought was cute at the time uh, invited me to take a survey. Um, it asked me questions about my spirituality, um, how I felt about God, whether or not I wanted to learn more about Jesus. Um, of course, with him standing there, I wanted to put down answers that I thought would please him. So I said things like, oh, yeah, I'd be interested in knowing more about Jesus and getting involved, um, et cetera. Well, unbeknownst to me at the time, um, that, that guy was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ, or CRU. And the answers uh, that I filled out ended up in the hands of a Bible study leader at my dorm. So the next thing I know, I was getting flyers about crew, invitations to Bible studies, and posts on my door for ice cream socials. Because, you know, I did say on the survey that I'd be interested in getting involved. But I was pretty annoyed. Um, I was annoyed that they were soliciting me and essentially ignored everything from them. And I continued on my ways of sex, booze, and rock and roll at Purdue. Then one day, a girl saw me coming out of my dorm room and said a very friendly hello. She acted like she already knew me, but I didn't really, like, she didn't look familiar to me. Um, so I figured she was just one of those girls that um, were just super friendly and wants to make friends with everybody. Um, we made small talk for a while, and we figured out quickly um, that we um, had class in the same exact building, so the small talk would have to last like 15 more minutes because Purdue is a big campus. Um, I soon discovered that while I had no idea who she was, she definitely knew me, at least in name. Her name is Julie, and she was the crew Bible study leader in my dorm, the one who's been reading my survey um, at that you know, got handed to her. She and her friends were the ones who were soliciting me to attend their Bible studies and socials. Um, in the course of that 15 minutes, uh, Julie and I talked about the music we liked, and she managed to convince me to attend a concert with her and her friends. Um, it was a David Crowder concert, so no one I had ever heard of, and I was not interested in going to the show. Um, but I was a bored freshman, and I was extremely extroverted, so I was always looking for something to do on a Friday night. So I got in line in the pouring rain, spending $20, that was a lot back then <laughs> for a freshman, on some artists that I had never heard of. And I was quickly uh, regretting my decision. The day of the concert came, and Julie actually canceled on me. Oh, so images of the high school cliques returned immediately to my head. This is where the girls would invite you to events, but were extremely fickle and would cancel often. Um, so she told me she, even though she couldn't go, I could still go with her roommate and another friend. Well, based on my experiences with uh, the mean girls all throughout high school, I really had zero interest in doing that. But of course, they convinced me into doing that as well. Um, so I was really expecting the girls to be sitting next to each other, gossiping about everything and everybody, and just completely leaving me out. 
Well, instead of that, they um, sat me in the middle of them and included me in all of their conversations the entire evening. Um, that's just a very, very simple act, but it had a huge impact. You would say a lasting impact on my life. Um, these girls' behaviors continue to surprise me and amaze me. And each of the friends I had met thereafter were very genuine, joyful, selfless, and unlike a lot of people from my past. Um, I also noticed that these people were very joyful despite not getting drunk, not using perverse language, and being very sexually modest. It sounds like a cliche, but I wondered what's so special and different about this group of people. Um, I soon found out that they were very different because of their belief in Jesus Christ. After months of friendship with this group of crew people, in December of 2008, Julie shared the gospel with me, and I accepted Jesus into my heart and life immediately. So from that moment on, everything in my life became completely perfect forever. The end. <laughs> of course not, of course not. Um, God, never promises, uh, God never promised that at all. Um, 2009 was an especially rough year. Um, I started a year with the passing of my grandpa, and to my knowledge, he didn't know Jesus. And the thought of him spending an eternity in hell was unbearable. It still is. And on a side note, my parents are still um, not believers to this day, and I ask um, prayers all the time, and I pray for them all the time that they would soon um, believe before, you know, their earthly life um, passes. Uh, so anyways, uh, number two that year in 2009, um, at the age of only 24, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, none of my family had it, and I was really never obese, so doctors really didn't know where it came from. Um, the diagnosis affected my daily life forever. Um, number three, bad thing number three happened that year. Um, I thought I had fell in love with a man who was not a Christian, though. And that was the first time in my life that that had happened. So I was in uncharted, uncharted territory. Um, people kept telling me things like that I've never heard before. Like, oh, this relationship is not godly and you need to break it off. And do not be unequally yoked, they would say. And I did not know what that meant at all. I mean, after all, this was a great guy. And in my young mind, he was perfect for me. So how do I tell, you know, the love of my life that we should end things just because of one little minor difference in our lives? I believed in God and he didn't. Um, so that was rough. I did eventually uh, end up breaking things off with him, but not because of that. Um, and then, you know, I, life went for even a worse path after breaking off with him, and a little bit, little bit more on that later. Um, number five, if you're counting, that same year, a person that I considered to be a, one of my best friends at the time was put to jail for a very, very dumb decision that he made. And this uh, guy is actually a devout Christian, so my earth was just kind of blown. And then number six, uh, I had a very devout Christian roommate that I was living with at the time, and she kept telling me to make better choices. Um, she said I need to su uh, surround myself with safer people because I was, you know, hanging out with unsafe people. So I felt judged, and I felt like I had no support. Um, on top of everything, this was middle of the Great Recession, and I was at 
Caterpillar. I was working at Caterpillar at the time, and I loved that job. Um, even though my bosses loved my work, I had to, they had to lay me off. They couldn't keep me uh, on anymore. Um, so seven dev devastating things happened in a span of 10 months. I decided that doing godly things were not working out for me anymore, so I didn't. I rebelled against God by dating whoever I want and doing whatever I want. And that only led to more heartbreaks and problems. I went into a great depression, a deep depression, and remember telling my parents that I would just burst into tears randomly. Um, I decided to see a psychiatrist and they put me on medication and that medication made me feel extremely anxious. I felt like my skin was jumping out at me all the time. Um, but when I reported the problem to them, they say, oh, these things take time. Just keep taking your medications, it'll get better. Well, it didn't. It didn't get better for a very long time. For the first time in my life, in my life I was feeling like this life really wasn't worth living. Um, and these kind of thoughts just kept nagging at me in the back of my head. Um, many months later, life got so bad that I really couldn't, I didn't think it could get any worse. I was miserable all the time and didn't know how to get myself out of it. I felt this nagging feeling in the back of my head at random times to just go back to God. And many times I had to deliberately refuse to go back. Um, there were times I felt like praying and talking to God about it, but I just can continuously and consciously refused to talk to him because I felt like being Christian, uh, being a Christian had caused more pain in my life than not, and I was really mad at God. So I kept refusing to listen to the Lord. Um, he, he actually moved me. I, I feel like this is God, like, okay, this is not working, so let's move her out of Lafayette. So he made a uh, drastic, or he allowed this drastic decision to um, come about. Um, and so he got, I got a job in Brownsburg, and I rented an apartment in Brownsburg with another roommate. Um, this roommate was also a churchgoer, and also new, uh, very new to Brownsburg. So I kind of just visited new churches with her. I was not with it at all. Uh, it was just kind of something that I did to keep up the image. Um, my heart was not into it. So then we settled on a church, and still none of my heart was in it. But then um, I, the more I practiced it, kind of fake it till you make it thing, I, I eventually kind of made it. More, in my, more and more of my heart was into worshiping God again and talking to him and praying, and then pretty soon, my whole heart was back in it. Um, so at that time, so basically, I just, I, I never really fully denied God's existence, but I definitely denied his goodness. Um, even though I could probably never explain how exactly I got back to God, it wasn't like one day it was here and the next day it wasn't there. It was a magical formula or anything like that. I know for sure that it was him who was drawing me back to him, just one tiny step at a time. And I knew, uh, he knew what I needed, and he allowed me to do it in my own time, um, still giving me the freedom to make my own choices. Because God is not a forceful God. He is not a um, controlling God. He does still give you options, and um, he gives you free will. Um, before I knew it, I was going to going back to worshiping God, going to church and Bible studies and fellowshipping with all the other devout Christians. 
Um, all was well until about mid-2015. I was staring straight into my 30th birthday. My mom got married when she was 30. By the time she got married, she was described as the old spinster that nobody wanted to marry. Um, she was the village project at 30. Um, everyone would like to set her up with some single man that they knew in their lives. The only requirements were male, single, and got a pulse, really. Um, when she would reject them due to the lack of spark or lack of common interest, they would call her out on her pickiness. Um, in, even after she met and married my dad, they had troubles having children. In fact, she had two miscarriages before she was able to carry me to term. And instead of being um, kind of going towards, like going with her on her journey, they all just kind of insinuated that her childbearing issues were due to her advanced age. And she would, um, and that, see, I told you you should have gotten married earlier. Now you're having trouble having kids. So she never really wanted me to experience any of it. Um, so starting in my early 20s, after I graduated from college and getting my first job, my mom was starting to nag me about finding the right man to get married and settle down with. Um, that was right after, you know, boys had cooties up until, like, high school. So it was like, boys had cooties. Okay, go, 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 marry them, marry them. Find one now. So that was kind of my upbringing. Um, being my mom, though, I know she only wanted the best for me, and she only wanted me to have a smooth journey, and she really wanted me to avoid all that suffering and the same fates that she did. Unknowingly, though, she had been putting an immense amount of pressure on me. And, you know, as we all know, matters of the heart cannot be rushed. Um, and it is really not in our control. But I did try to take full control of it and ignored um, God's guidance. I would sign up for every dating site out there. I made a, you know, finding my mate like a full-time job, like my actual job. Um, I was also in grad school at this time, so pretty busy. Uh, many people in the church had reminded me again that I should find a Christian and he should be the spiritual leader of our household. Um, he told me, again, or they told me to never be unequally yoked. And I had every intention of following that advice, but one thing would always lead to another. And I would make excuses for the men that I was dating. Like, well, he may not be a Christian right now, but he was one, and he could go back to it, right? Well, he's spiritual and believes in God. That's good enough, right? So inevitably, I would end up with a very wrong man. I was in a horrible relationship with a completely uh, wrong man. I had strayed further and further from God, and I was so vulnerable to more and more sins because of my unsteadiness in my walk with Jesus. Um, this man was everything I told myself I did not want or need in a mate. He spoke too much, he drank too much, he swore too much, he did actually recreational drugs, and most importantly, he did not know God. But he pursued me, and I let my flesh take over my mind. And also, I was already on the other side of 30, and I had already gone past my mom's marrying age, and she was known as the old spinster. So is that what people were saying about me now? Uh, sins were compounding at an alarming rate in my life. In April of 2017, I found out that I was pregnant with this man's child. 
I felt all the emotions at once. Sadness, anger, relief, some happiness, um, fear. I was too afraid to tell my parents because he w wasn't like my fiance or husband. Heck, I wasn't even like really seriously dating him at this time. Um, I am, when I first told him about our child, his immediate response was for me to get an abortion. I am so ashamed to admit that the thought had actually crossed my mind. But before I had a chance to entertain that idea any further, I started to have abdominal pains and cramps and losing a lot of blood. Um, I was so afraid that I was almost just catatonic. I couldn't even bring myself to go to the ER. Well, the next day I found out the inevitable. I had lost my baby. I obviously survived the ordeal physically, but I believe that the mental pain will stay with me for the rest of my life. Even though I wasn't sure if I even wanted a child, I felt a strong sense of loss. It didn't come immediately that week, that day, even that month, but it definitely came, and it came strongly. Instead of going back to God and repenting of all my sins, I had the nerves to get mad at him again for everything. I blamed him for tempting me with that man who impregnated me and for bringing him into my life. I blamed God for making me pregnant. I blamed God for the loss of my baby. I was so angry at him, and I was so far away from him that at the time I thought I would never become a Christian again. And at that time, I didn't even want to. I felt like I had hit rock bottom again, or so I thought. My whole sky had fallen down. I had no child, no relationship prospects, no support from my parents because I didn't feel like I could tell them. Um, some people I thought were my close friends had left my life at that time, too. Um, this time, I decided that I did not want to live anymore. From 2017 to 2019, I attempted suicide three times. A couple of those times landed me in an inpatient rehab center in St. Vincent Hospital. Um, these stints were involuntary mental holds, so I didn't really have a choice but to stay as long as the psychiatrist um, thought I needed to. I couldn't have any of my personal belongings with me, so no phone. Um, I had my, you know, free phone calls just like in jail, like maybe a couple times a day. Um, I couldn't have any contact with the outside world. My, my days were mapped out for me by the hospital. I ate whenever they wanted me to eat. I slept when they called lights out, and I had to attend classes and programs. So th this whole period really was like being in jail. So I thought, okay, this is rock bottom. My sky has fallen down again. Um, with absolutely no distractions of life, though, and all the time in the world, I felt like I had nowhere else to turn except back to Jesus. And the Bible was one of the only books that were available that we were allowed to read. And, um, yeah, since it was St. Vincent, they had a lot of other Christian books as well. So not everybody in this situation would turn back to Jesus, but that is the path and journey that he took me on. Um, so eventually my life started to turn around. I found a new job that I love. I found a new relationship, whom I'm engaged to now. Hi, Brian. Um, <laughs> and I have reconciled vast majority of my friendships, and we're still going very strong now. Um, I found a great therapist to help me through stuff, and most importantly of all, I am back at church, uh, worshiping God, reading the Bible on a consistent basis. One of the major lessons I've learned through all of this is that God has been there with me all along. Through each of these suicidal attempts, 
each time that I felt hurt by any of the humans in my life, each time that I felt a loss, Jesus has been there for me and always and will continue to be. Even though, or even before I knew Jesus, he has actually been there with me in my life. Like the times that I was crying every day while moving to the U.S., um, bartering to this invisible God to go back to China. He's actually been there the whole time. One of my favorite books of the Bible is uh, Book of Job. I know that y'all know, but Job was a righteous man who was living for Jesus. He was very blessed and with a beloved family, flocks of animal, other, you know, land, other earthly riches. But then one day with God's allowance, Satan decided to test him. Um, I say God's allowance. Is, it wasn't God's idea to take all these things away from me, but he allowed it to bring bigger glory to himself. So um, he soon, Job soon lost everything too, and all the people were telling him to just curse God, but Job stayed strong throughout. In Job 121, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I do think Jesus, that my life is good now, but looking at my life, I know that things are temporary. Tomorrow I could lose my job again. Brian, who is human, can fail me in any way, many ways. Sorry, Brian. And I can fail him too. He can um, pass on from this earthly life uh, sooner than I would like. Um, my family members and friends are the exact same way. They're humans. They can... Um, they can go, they can leave at any time, with or without my permission. Um, there will always be storms in this life. Um, if I keep leaning on them for answers, then my life will continue to hit rock bottoms. Um, Jesus is the only one that's strong enough, all-knowing enough, big enough to be the anchor of my life. I know that my message is pretty super simple today, you know, like, in life, your sky will seemingly fall down. Just go back to Jesus and Jesus only to be your anchor. Family, friends, money, hobbies, jobs, they're all just there to sweeten the steel of life. Um, they're the cherry on top. The foundation has to be Jesus. As simple as it is, though, I hope my story has given you a real-life picture of what it looks like when you lean on anything else but him.